Well, good morning, Third Street. How y'all feeling? All right. All right. Y'all built differently than me. Whenever I hear that song, I can't, like, not move or clap or do something. Y'all just, like, stared at the screen like, is that... Is this, is this Stevie? Is this Stevie Wonder? That's Stevie Wonder, right? That's Stevie. That's Stevie. Y'all built different than me, man. I can't. I can't not move. That is. Uh, that's a classic. That's a classic. If you were with us last week, you were here for the kickoff. Otherwise, uh, you get to be brought into the fold uh, this week. We are in a series titled Psalms in the Key of Life. If you don't know the backstory or the context of the classic album Songs in the Key of Life, then you're probably missing a bit of key information. Uh, Your casual knowledge will not allow you to fully appreciate what we're trying to capture. So let me just take a moment this morning to, to let you in on just a couple things that we already know in this series titled Psalms in the Key of Life. At a very young age, the age of 11 to be specific, Stevlin Hardaway Morris, a child prodigy from Saginaw, Michigan, was handpicked by Motown Records to be their next recording artist. He would be rebranded and renamed Little Stevie Wonder. And over the next 10 years of his career, he would put together some really dope albums all the way up into the night, the late 60s and early 70s, when he, would, when he would go through at the time and still to this day in a lot of ways, an unheard of streak of four consecutive number one best-selling albums. But once little, now a little bit bigger, Stevie Wonder was unsatisfied. He was not fulfilled. And he questioned whether or not this is even something he wanted to do anymore. And in 1974, he debated and thought heavily about walking away from it altogether, moving to a different continent and serving kids in African countries with disabilities and not making music anymore. Now, you and I know how capitalism works. So you know that record label founder Barry Gordy couldn't just let him walk away. Stevie, you're killing it, my guy. Four straight number ones. Let's go until they're not number one anymore, right? Stevie's like, nah, fam, I'm not doing it. Barry Gordy's like, what do I got to do? I will literally do anything for you to sign a new deal. So Stevie gave him his terms and ended up with what was and still is an unheard of deal for what was and still is an extraordinary amount of money, equity, rights. But most importantly, most importantly to to Stevie Wonder, Stevie Wonder gained the creative freedom and control over his records so that he could put out the music that he wanted to put out the way he wanted to put it out. 
with no influence or no input from any other records. And as a result, in 1976, his next album, Songs in the Key of Life, would be his compilation of his own life experiences, unfiltered, and shared exactly how he wanted them shared. Rolling Stones called it the sound of a creatively emancipated young artist coming into his own, surrendering himself to his ambitions and harnessing his power and potential. And yeah, you know the rest. It became the fifth consecutive number one best-selling album. And by any musical standards to this day is one of the greatest albums of all time. And so this morning, with that backdrop, we move from a collection of one artist's life experiences, told, raw, uncut, real, the way he wants to tell them, to another historical's figure, his collections of his life experiences, his own songs that he wrote, based on what he's been through, raw, uncut, and real, the way that he wanted to tell it. Of course, I'm talking about the historical figure of David, and of course, I'm talking about the collection of songs that we find in the biblical book of Psalms. So I encourage you at this time to turn to chapter 51 of the book of Psalms. The beginning will preface by telling you that David was going through some things when he wrote this. Imagine that. This is Psalm 51. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read just about the entire chapter. We're going to start at the top. David wrote his song this way. He says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and please blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. 
Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. Yeah, you feel it. You're not going to like me today. But David was special, man. David was special. Like Stevie, but way before Stevie, he was handpicked at a young age. You read the account in 1 Samuel, God sends the prophet Samuel to Jesse's house because the Israelite king Saul had lost a little bit of favor, right? He'd lost his way a little bit and they realized they needed someone new to rise up and take the reins. And if Israel was going to actually succeed and do the things that God had set them apart to do. And so he sends the prophet Samuel to Jesse's house and Jesse's excited. And so he lines up all his sons. Well, almost all his sons. He lined up all the sons that he thought made logical sense to be the successor, but he forgot one out in the field, right? And so one by one, Samuel goes and he asked the Lord, is it this one of Jesse's sons? And God's like, no. Is it this one of Jesse's sons? And he's like, that's not the one. Is it this one's of Jesse's sons? And God's like, I see what you're looking at. You're looking at physical appearance, but you might not know this about me. I look at the hearts. He says, no, it's not that one not the, either. As a matter of fact, it's not any of these. And Samuel's like, there's seven of them, God. Surely one of them is impressive enough to be the king. And God said, no, that's not him. And Samuel looks at Jesse and he's like, Jesse, bro, I don't even know, bro. Like, there's got to be something else. And Jesse's like puzzled. He's like, well, I mean, there is one more son. But like, you know, he's the one that we let watch the sheep, you know, He's small, he's young, he's gentle. He's easy on the eyes, but I'm not sure about a warrior, a leader, a king. You can go talk to him, though. He's out back. Sheep are over there. Bet. God tells Samuel, I have anointed this one. Put the oil on his head. He is a man after my own heart. He is the king. A little bit later, this treacherous giant has got the entire Israelite army shaking in their boots. How will they ever overcome this man of stature that we have never seen? They call him Goliath. And here steps forward a little shepherd boy with a knapsack, a clean, uh, a slingshot, and five smooth stones. And this is the best that we got. But our kids know the rest of that story. He is triumphant. And he leads Israel to yet to what will be the first of a whole lot of victories as David leading the army. David sees Israel to victory after victory after victory. David is by and large the most successful king that we have written about in history. And he is feeling every bit of God's favor. All the way up until one night, as he goes up to his balcony to overlook the kingdom, the kingdom that which God 
had given to him, who had been hand-selected, anointed and appointed. And David had his wives. He had anything that somebody could want. And David looks out and he points at something that's not his. He points at someone who did not belong to him. And he's like, I want her, though. And David sends for her. He sleeps with her. And he impregnates her. And now he's in a situation. Because she's already married. As a matter of fact, he knows her husband. He's a soldier in the very army that David commands. And now, this is about the trickiest baby mama drama you could come up with. And so to cover up his mistakes, to hide his iniquity, motivated by his guilt, he arranges for this woman's husband to be killed. David was special. But now, this situation has got David looking for joy inside his tears. Oh, that was a good reference. I don't think they got it, though. It's a track on the record, on the album. You should go listen to it after this. It was fire. It was a great reference. Glad two of you appreciated that. So David... In chapter 51, he's writing this song because he is very aware of his sin. David is now willing to go to God and is acknowledging his sin. He's aware of it. He acknowledges it. And I just got to start here this morning by letting you know that right there is the prerequisite to being restored. All of us, not some of us that are willing to admit it, all of us are operating in some type of sin. All of us need to be restored to some better Garden of Eden-like picture that God has in his mind for us. But the prerequisite to being on the way there is to be aware of our sin and to acknowledge our sin. David is willing to do that. But let's be honest about why. It's because guilt has taken over. Guilt, excuse me, wow. Guilt, guilt has built, been built up so significantly that David's like, I just, I have to get this out. I have to get this out. I imagine before he even wrote it down, he, he yelled it. He cried it himself. And he's still so desperate that now, even still, he's like, maybe, maybe I still feel it. Maybe I got to write it down. David is crying out and he's crying out for God's mercy. Now, this is different. I want to take a moment to point out this is different than being desperate and crying out for grace. Right? A lot of us are like, oh, just give me some grace. I'm in process. 
But David is, a, is at a point where he's like, yeah, your grace is going to have to come in a minute because what I need right now is mercy. Grace is God's supernatural support, normally resulting in us being given in abundance what we cannot earn. But mercy, mercy is God withholding what we do deserve. What do you mean by that, pastor? Let me try and make it plain for you. David is guilty of adultery, for starters. David is guilty of murder, both of which by Old Testament law is punishable by what? David is in full acknowledgement that what he deserves for his first action is death. What he deserves for his next action is death. And those are just the actions we know about. David is under the double death penalty. David is acknowledging that I know I deserve to die, be resuscitated, and die again. That's what I deserve. But he's crying out to God, please, if you see so in your mercy, withhold what I actually deserve. David is begging for God to withhold the death penalty. He says, cleanse me, God, with hyssop instead. Hit me with that hyssop branch instead, right? What he's referring to is what, is what was used ritualistically to remove ceremonial and moral sin. What he's referring to, perhaps more specifically, is the very branch that was used to spread blood over the door frames on the eve of Passover when the angel of death was coming by. Right. In other words, he's saying, paint my doorpost red. I know that I deserve death and I know that death is on a way on the way. But Lord, if you would be so merciful, merciful, let it pass me by. Let this judgment pass me by. Pass my death sentence by and please blot it out. Erase it. Don't even let it be in my mind, in your mind, or on the minds of other people. Make it as if it never even happened. Please. You ever been that desperate? See, here's the funny thing, and I know we don't want to talk about it, but you trap now. Sin, sin has a way of luring us in. Sin has a way of tempting us and dangling this carrot of temporary pleasure in front of us. Sin has a way, even though we know better, even though we've been taught better, even though we have the spirit of God, and I know we're all saved, sanctified, and super holy, but sin still has this way of pulling us in. Sin has a way of making us feel good externally, which is exactly what the devil wants for us to feel good externally because the reality of what's going on is we're being destroyed internally. We feel good temporarily out here, but inside 
Inside, we're not better, we're worse. Inside, we're rotting. Inside, it feels like there's something that's building up that I cannot stand it much longer. I got to get it out. If you haven't felt this before, let me see if I can put it right in your living room. It's that moment, right, where, where, where we eat too much. The food is so good, right? It's so good. And I don't want to stop. So I keep eating. And I know that at this bite right here, I have a choice. I have a decision to make. I can either stop right here and have leftovers for tomorrow, or I can push myself because it's enjoyable to a place of discomfort. But eventually when we push ourselves because we don't want to stop because it tastes so good, eventually we get to a point where our bodies literally can't take any more and something needs to be expelled. No, I'm the only one that eats too much. Let me see if I can talk to you specifically. It's that moment when you drink too much. Oh, you didn't like that. This whole side was like, I'm leaving. It's that moment when you drink too much and that temporary buzz you had last night wears off. And now you're, now all that you're left with is that sick feeling inside. Not only that you have too many toxins ingested and hanging around in your stomach, your intestines, that's going to cause you problems in a little bit. But also that feeling of guilt and replaying in your mind everything from the evening before because do I remember everything that I said? Do I remember everything that I did? Am I, do, do I need to back up and apologize to anybody? I'll, I swear to God, I'll never do it again. Only to be repeated next first Friday. I'm talking to somebody. I can tell. J-A-D-A at thirdstreetchurch.com. Listen, this is, KT, how much you want to bet this is where they get super quiet? Yeah. It's the moment where you follow your lustful desires to experience a dopamine release. And all you're left with is that horrible feeling of guilt and regret, knowing that that was a mistake, that that wasn't worth it, that I know better, and that this temporary thing dangled in front of me seemed right at the time. And then it was like I woke up. Told you. It's when that guilt rises and now we recognize and acknowledge that we are desperate for God's mercy. What we deserve is for God to turn his face. What we deserve is for God to walk away. But church, I'm gonna let you off the hook. Because what kind of preacher would I be if I didn't let you know that there is good news? 
The good news is that what God would go on to do for David, he has already done in the person of Jesus for you and for me. We no longer stand guilty. We no longer stand in need of mercy because it's already done. That as a matter of fact, what we're feeling is not a reflection of what God is holding against us, but it's a reflection of our own feelings. The penalty of death has been fulfilled. The sacrifice needed for atonement is already taken care of. The wrath of God that we're so afraid of is already satisfied. So no, church, God is not mad at you. Because, and remember what I said, when you are aware and acknowledge the sin, you then are ready to be forgiven. Forgiveness is readily available to you. That actually is God's heart. It's not to hold a grudge. It's not to count your sins. It's not to remind you of your past. It is to forgive. But when you come to a place of forgiveness because you are aware of and are willing to acknowledge your sin, when you come to a place of forgiveness, hear me, church, that's when renewal is allowed to start. That's the beginning. That's not the end. That's not an excuse to repeat. It's an excuse then to be made new. David goes on from that point to say in verse 10, he says, clean my heart, God. Clean my heart because it doesn't sound poetic for me to say it this way, but if you want to be real, I don't trust myself. Clean my heart, God, because I don't know that there's any goodness left within me for me to be able to sustain looking at sin any longer. I need you to just go ahead and throw my heart out and start all the way over because I don't think that I can do it by myself. Create in me, oh God, a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit. The word that he uses for create is the same word that we see for creation in Genesis 1. In other words, it's the type of creation that only God can do. David is saying to God, I know that there's nothing I can do from here on out to make me do better. I know that there is nothing in my heart in and of itself that can create for me a better reality. So God, I need you to create. You know the type of create when there was nothing and then all of a sudden there was something. I need you to create where there is nothing, where there is no ability on my own, where there is no, where there is no willingness on my own. I need you to create from nothing. I need you to create something it's something that only you can do David recognizes that he needs a new heart and a renewed spirit because he doesn't have it within him to keep resisting sin he's like thank you for getting me out of this situation and I feel super guilty right now and for the next 30 days I'll feel guilty but God at day 31 I don't know what's stopping me from going back up on my balcony and looking out again I need a new heart. I need a renewed spirit. He acknowledges that he is so steeped in sin. And as such, he is not capable of such transformation that he knows is necessary without divine intervention. What David demonstrates here is that being in relationship with God and allowing his spirit to transform us from the inside it's not about self-denial, but it's about, a, it's about a change of heart. 
It's not about denying yourself adultery. It's about allowing God to make you the person that would never cheat. Here is also where David lets us in on his biggest motivating factor, his biggest fear. His biggest fear that he shares with us in Psalm 51 is that God's spirit would leave him. He is desperately and deeply afraid that this means God will have nothing more to do with him. Because see, where he's coming from is that in the Old Testament, the spirit of God came and went. The spirit of God would come on to a person, would fulfill what they needed to do, and then the spirit of God would move on, right? So for him, he's like, I don't want you to just move on and forget about me. He wants to remain in close connection with God. He wants to feel the joy that a relationship with God brings constantly. And I got to be real with you all this morning. Is that okay? I know I came at you. Let me, let me return the favor. I understand the fear. I understand the fear. We live in a society where favor and influence come and go. We live in a world where the person that you're listening to and taking advice from now is who you're listening to and taking advice from now, but lets you find out something about that person that is displeasing to you, and now that person's canceled just as fast as, well, I understand the fear. I get it. But here's an important difference. And where David stood back then, as opposed to where we stand today, David was pre-Jesus. David was pre-resurrection. David was pre-Pentecost. Pastor, you're losing me, bro. What does that mean? What we've been promised by Jesus is that we will receive the Holy Spirit when we enter into relationship with God. And that where we go, so goes the Spirit of God. That the presence of God will never again leave us. That once upon a time, the dwelling of God was in the Ark of the Covenant as it was for David. But now, inside each and every believer is where God chooses to dwell. What are you trying to say? I'm still not tracking. Here's what I'm trying to say. Let me see if I can make it plain. We have no reason to fear God leaving us because God did not leave us. In all likelihood, what we actually feel is that we left him. Looking at Jamie sitting right over here. Her thing right now is she says, I just want fill in the blank. I just want juice. I just want Paw Patrol. But I got to be honest, there's something that melts my heart when she looks at me and says, I just want you. I just want you. The other day I was sitting in our living room because I was feeding PJ and she was sitting on the other side of me. And then she got distracted. She got down. She went playing and she she was all over the house. About 20 minutes later, as PJ is finishing his bottle, I hear her from two rooms over start screaming and crying. And so I yell out to her. I'm like, Jamie. Jamie, I'm in here. 
Jamie comes running back into the room and tears in her eyes, screaming and crying. And I'm like, baby girl, what's wrong? And she's like, I just want you. And what I had to look at her and say in that moment is that, baby girl, I never left. You did. You left me. Guys, the Spirit of God does not leave you. God's persistence does not leave you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. God has not left you. You got up, got distracted, went two rooms over and started playing with other toys that he didn't put in front of you. You left him. But the good news, guys, the good news is that he's right where you left him. He has not gone anywhere. That he's actually there waiting to see your silhouette on the horizon so that he can run to you, so that he can pick you up. And that when you say, I just want you, God, I just want your mercy, God, I just want your presence, God, I just want your blessings, God, he can look at you and say, I never left. It's a good day, church. It's a good day to return to the Father. What I'm trying to say is that if you so desperately want to change, but you feel like he's a long way off. If you're up here this morning and the worship team is going in and they were going in, bro. If they're going in and you're just like, I just don't feel it. I just don't hear his voice. It doesn't have to be this. Maybe it's on your own and you're trying to make the time and you're opening the scriptures and you're opening that prayer line and you're like, God, I just don't, I just don't hear it. I'm just not sure that you're with me. Can I tell you that he has never left? That that's what sin does is it clouds your judgment. It clouds that communication, that direct connection. And it clouds you and surrounds you and you get so steeped within you to cause you to believe that he left you. But can I tell you that he has never left you? That sin's objective is to separate you from God. You may have left him, but he has never, ever left you. The good news is that he's in the same place you wandered off from. And he's always there, ready to welcome you home. I get it. I see the way you're looking at me. I see the way you're looking at the ground. I see it. I see it. I understand. I'll let you off the hook. I promise I'm done. I do have to say one more thing, though. Because David doesn't stop there, right? David doesn't stop there. What does he say? He's like, God, I feel, I, if I feel your mercy, if I feel your forgiveness, if I fear, feel the, the, the joy return inside my tears, if I feel the joy of your salvation in my heart, if I feel... The renewal of my spirit, what does he say he's going to do? He says, I will teach the rebellious. He says, I will sing. He says, I will praise. I will declare. This is not David making a deal like an if-then statement. Like, if you do this, I'll go singing. That's not what he's saying. This is... This is David recognizing that he's done everything to deserve death. This is David recognizing that he's done everything for God to turn away from him. He's done everything that is humiliating and shameful. He's done a whole lot of things that would cause a whole lot of us to just shut our mouth, put our head down, and not say a word. 
But he's saying, Lord, if you give me the strength insofar as just to open my lips, what will come out is the declaration of your name, the declaration of your salvation, the declaration of your forgiveness, your renewal, and the joy that is accessible in your salvation. David knows that if he's shown mercy, if his heart and his joy are restored to him, then God must not be done. And if God is not done, then neither am I. And I will go on and I will sing and I will praise and I will teach because I have to. I can't not, right? I wonder this morning, church, I wonder if anyone in here has done anything that has caused so much guilt we just shut up and put our heads down. I wonder if what's tearing us up on the inside is so deep and so significant right now that even while other people around us are singing and praising, we can't bring ourselves to do it. Oh, there's good news. There's good news. The good news is that God forgives. The, God knew, the good news is that God renews. The good news is that God still sends us and so we can't shut up now. We must teach the rebellious. Why? Because we've been the rebellious. You know that what you see in other people is exactly what you've been through. I recognize a sinner when I see a sinner because I'm a sinner. I recognize somebody who's tripping over the things that I've been tripping over because I'm tripping over those things too. And so if you know that the Lord has forgiven you, if you know that the Lord has restored your joy or is restoring your joy and trying to renew your spirit, then you gotta say something, you gotta teach. You gotta sing, you gotta praise, you must declare praise of the Lord because we are not capable on our own but once upon a time, I read that by his stripes, we all are healed. Church, we can't stop. We can't shut up because God has done it for us and he wants to do it for our community. My brothers and sisters, you have been forgiven. It's already happened. You've been forgiven. He's not mad at you. Later in Psalms, David's going to realize that as far as the east is from the west is my sin from me. He's not mad at you. He's already forgiven you. The things that are happening to you are not because God is mad at you and throwing things at you. It's because this is what the world is like. This is what we're like when we walk away from him. You've been forgiven. You're being renewed. Now run and tell it. Run and tell the world that it's him. Run and tell the world that he has made life's history. He has done what no one thought could be. He has put the joy inside your tears. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness. God, we acknowledge 
that we are sinful, that you tried to appeal to us better, and that left up to our own devices, we still slip up. We still mess up. We still blow it. But God, you are a rescuer. You've saved us. You've forgiven us. And you want to restore us back to something more beautiful than we ever thought was possible. God, we want to play an active participation in that. So Lord, would you remind us by your spirit that we are forgiven? That by our very acknowledgments and understanding of our sin, you gave to us forgiveness freely. God, would you allow us to experience the renewal of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Because Lord, as sure as the breath is in my lungs, is as sure as I am that you are not finished with us yet. So God, would you lead us? Would you give us the strength it takes to navigate really difficult things in our path to renewal? Would you give us the courage to face the guilt and the shame and to tell it no? Would you give us the patience to understand that it's all on your timing and that it's a process. That healing is not easy, but it is accessible. God, would you give us the wisdom to know our hearts, to know your hearts, and to know where you're making those two things the same. God, would you give us the wisdom and the desire to see it through? Because the path that you lead us on is not one of temptation, evil, evil destruction, or desire, but it is of deliverance and it is of freedom. Pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.